Sola gratia is one of the five solas, which are just little Latin phrases that came to sort of characterize or define the Protestant movement as the Protestants were breaking from the Roman church. And sola gratia means grace alone. And the idea behind it is that God saves us according to grace and nothing else but grace. Grace alone is what saved us. That's what the Protestants affirmed. But now there's a problem to some degree with this notion of sola gratia, and that is that no one disagrees with it. Right? This isn't really a Protestant distinction, if you will, because there is nobody, no person who falls under the branch of Christendom, really no person who falls under the branch of religion at all, who argues that we are not saved by grace. We just don't need the grace of God. We just do everything on our own power. Right? Everybody believes that we're saved by the grace of God. And so this is why sola gratia had to be coupled with another sola, a very, very important one, which goes together with it, which is sola fide, which means faith alone. The reformers taught and believed that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone. And the idea behind these two solas being wedged together is that the only way to be saved by grace alone is if it comes only through faith. In other words, the reformers looked at all these other religions that said we're saved by the grace of God alone. But then you ask them, how are we saved? It's faith and works and this and this. They would say that's not grace anymore. You can say we're saved by grace, but once you start adding this long laundry list of works to the gospel, you're no longer actually believing in a gracious gospel the way you say you are. The Reformed contention was that the only way you can actually believe that salvation is by grace is if you believe it comes through faith and nothing but faith. In other words, you have to, in order to be saved by grace, what does that mean? It means you have to be saved by faith apart from your works. And the passage before us in Scripture today is one of the most important passages that Protestants have always used to prove sola gratia and sola fide. That salvation, which is by grace, must come to us through faith apart from works. Would you please turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. I would invite you to please stand for the reading of God's Word. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This bars the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Last week, we established from Paul that salvation is completely the work of God's grace. When you are saved, you are saved because God's grace comes into your life and saves you. And Paul is now continuing to drive that same theme home. He's trying to really drive that message home that we are saved by the grace of God. And that's why he begins in verse 8, by grace you have been saved. He's, he's pushing the same thesis that we saw last week. But this time he gets a little bit more specific with it. He's still affirming that we're saved by grace, but he really wants the Ephesians to understand what does that mean? 
What does that look like? Everyone says we're saved by grace. What does it mean to be saved by grace? And so this week, we have a little bit of a different emphasis. Last week, we saw that we are saved by the grace of God, that you're saved by grace. This week, it's more of the other side of that. Salvation, yes, is by grace, which means salvation is not by works. That's really the the primary focus of verses 8 through 10, that your salvation is not by works. Last week, we saw it is by grace, and therefore, it cannot be by works. That is what Paul is trying to really drill into our heads. And the reason I say that is because this entire passage, all three verses, they're all working towards the same end, trying to dissuade us from ever even entertaining the thought that my works play some role in why God loves me. That my works have in some way, shape, or form earned the right standing that I have with God. I am forgiven because of things that I have done. Paul is obsessed with making sure that thought never even enters your mind, which is why this whole passage is about salvation not being by works. He does say that explicitly, right? Look again with me at verse 9. Speaking of salvation, he says in verse 9 that it is not a result of works. So our thesis has sort of already been established. There's your proof text. Salvation is not by works. Ephesians 2.9. But I don't want us to miss all of Paul's holistic emphasis by just cutting a verse in half and seeing it. So I understand my, my thesis is kind of simple. Paul just straight up said it. But what I really want us to see is how every word of these three verses are contributing to this idea. He is pushing this on us very, very hard. As a matter of fact, I see four different ways outside of that explicit testimony that Paul proves to us that God's gracious, gracious salvation is just that. It is grace and it is not of works. The first way Paul demonstrates this is in the beginning by telling us that because it is by grace, it is therefore through faith. In other words, point number one, God's gracious salvation is through faith. God's gracious salvation comes to us through faith. Verse 8, the beginning. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Here, these these, uh, prepositions are very, very important. I would argue this is the most specific use of these prepositions that Paul has in all of his epistles as he talks about salvation. The reason I say this is because if someone really wanted to be mischievous, they could claim that we have a Bible contradiction in this verse. And the reason we have a Bible contradiction is because I can show you verses that say we are saved by faith. I can show you Bible verses that say, by faith you are saved. Because of your faith, your sins are forgiven. By faith you are saved, apart from works. Paul says it over and over again. Yet here, Paul says it is not by faith that you are saved. It is by grace that you are saved. It is through faith, right? Not by faith but through faith that you are saved. So what is it? Are you saved by faith or are you saved through faith? And the answer is actually both because the way we use these kinds of prepositions in English can be kind of confusing. We, we can use entirely different prepositions in the same way. Here's, I try to come up with a, a funny analogy and here's one I came up with. When I was a, a younger boy, I loved to play. I had a, all my friends lived in my community and we would, every day that it was warm, we would go out and play tackle football. So we'd be outside every day after school, running around in the dirt, 
tackling each other. And I would try to come home for dinner and just come home, walk in, sit on the chair and eat dinner. And of course, that was not okay because I was covered in mud and dirt. So my mom would sometimes say things like, you need to uh, go out and wash yourself with the hose. Or go wash yourself by the hose. Something along the lines of that. Now, if she wanted to be far more specific, she could recognize you don't technically wash yourself with the hose. You wash yourself with water. It's just the hose is the channel that gives me the water. And so we can in one sense say, wash yourself with the hose. Or you could say, wash yourself with the water from the hose or through the hose. And we understand that they're really, they're really communicating the same thing. So there are times in the New Testament where, where Paul or Jesus or someone else might say you are saved by faith. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be saved by faith? What Paul has done here is he's taken a microscope on that phrase, by faith, and he zoomed us in so we can see the real specific workings. And what does that mean? Well, it technically means, similar to the hose, you're not actually saved by your faith. You're saved by the grace of God, but, the grace, but your faith is the hose that the waters of God's grace comes to you through. The reason this is important is because if we just said people are saved by God's grace and we left it at that, then you might be tempted to believe in a doctrine called universalism. Universalism is the doctrine that every single human being is saved and every single human being that's ever lived or ever lived will live are all going to heaven. Because why? Because we're saved by grace and God loves all people and God gives grace to all people so everyone's saved. We're not saved by works. We're not saved by faith. We're not saved by anything. It's just grace. Well, why isn't everyone saved then? And so what Paul is saying is that, yes, it's God's grace that saves, just like it's water that cleanses, but we still need that grace to come to us individually. We need the saving grace of God to be personally applied to us. And then that brings up the next question. Okay, so how do I get in on that? How do I get that saving grace of God? And with so many other religions, that's where works come in. You have to earn it. Yeah, you've got to believe in him, but that's not enough. Life's never that good. Life's never that easy. You need to earn it. And it's through your faith and through your works that the saving grace of God comes. And here Paul is dissuading us of that notion. You are saved by grace, but how do you get that grace? It's through faith. You are saved by grace through faith. One of the reasons this is so important to get really technical like this is we talked a little bit about this last week. But because it's very, it's a danger for us when we throw around this phrase, we're saved by faith, we're saved by faith, to start to think in our heads that faith becomes itself a meritorious work. Right? A lot of Christians can stumble into this idea that if I'm saved by faith and nothing else, and faith is something I do, it's an action I perform, so what is it? I perform this great and mighty and awesome deed, and God rewards my amazing awesome deed with salvation. That is a more technical understanding of being saved by faith. Your faith is this amazing work, and God looks at it and goes, oh my goodness, that faith, that is incredible. I've got to reward that. Here's some salvation. But no, your faith is not the grounding of your salvation. God doesn't save you because you produced this incredibly meritorious thing called faith. God's grace is what saves you. Your faith is merely the access you have to grace. Faith is the only work that we possess which can grab onto grace. And this is why you'll find theologians 
in almost all Protestant denominations who describe faith as a passive work rather than an active work. Faith is merely passively receiving what God offers. It's not so much doing something and earning something. It's merely abandoning yourself, abandoning your works, and receiving what God has held out. Faith is a passive reception which God's grace comes to us through and saves us. So you are saved not by works, not because you've got this great meritorious faith, but faith merely accesses Christ and it is through faith, through Christ, that the saving grace of God reaches you. So how do we know we're not saved by works? Because God's grace doesn't come to us through works, it comes to us through faith. And so you see here, faith is not considered a work biblically in the New Testament. Paul, by the way, emphasizes this over and over and over again in all of his writings. Paul loves to juxtapose, he loves to contrast faith versus works. Just to give you one brief example, though there are many, many, many examples we could give, and I actually have some of these verses on the slides, if you'll turn to this one for me, Drew. Romans 3.28. Sorry, I know you're used to putting it down for this, I apologize. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Now, it's interesting because technically faith is one of the works of the law, right? It's not like if you were to read through the Old Testament, nowhere does it say you have to believe in God. It, does, it says that. But in Paul's mind, faith is not so much a working of the law. Faith is merely this passive reception, which is distinct from the works of the law, which is why he can say, no, you're not saved by those works. You're saved by something different, and it's faith. Or more specifically, you're saved through something different, faith. Not works, faith. You see how Paul contrasts them. Faith versus works. And this could be multiplied. This happens all throughout the New Testament. So again, we know that our salvation is not of works because it comes to us through faith, which is not a work. It is a passive reception of God's saving grace. One other thing before we move on to our next point. Another reason why you should not think of faith as a work is because on a very technical level, this verse here is actually saying that your faith itself is a gift from God. In other words, this verse is implying that faith is not even something you offered to God as much as it's something God gave you to offer to Him. Faith is a gift of God. Now, why do I say that? Well, because look at verse 8 again with me. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. We have in verse 8, something is being said, this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. So the question you have to ask is, what is the this? What is the it? When Paul says it is, the gift, is a gift of God, what's the it? What's the gift? And believe it or not, theologians have been debating this question in a highly controversial, disputed manner for the last 500 years. Uh, the ancient church, every, almost every commentary on Ephesians 2 that we possess from the earliest centuries of the church would all say that what the it is is specifically faith. The ancient church almost unanimously argued that faith is not your own doing, that faith is the gift of God. That is the overwhelming position of the ancient church. Now, modern theologians have taken issue with that, and admittedly, they've come up with some decent arguments for it. 
while I'm not a Greek expert, I, can, I think I can explain it in a very basic sense. In Greek, like many other languages in the world, Greek, every word has a gender. It's either masculine, feminine, or neuter. And in Greek, the genders have to match in order for the antecedent, for, in order for the two words to be connected, the genders have to match. And so, ironically, people have argued that faith is not the gift of Ephesians 2.8 because in the Greek, the word faith is a feminine and the it is neuter. So they don't match. And so the argument is that faith is not a gift. And this is important specifically for our non-reformed Calvinist or our non-Calvinist brothers and sisters because when you start talking about faith as being something God gives you, not something that you self-create, you've essentially sort of given over to the most important fundamental position of Calvinism, which is that God creates your faith. It's not like this free will thing that some people create, some people don't. God has to give it to you. So it's very important for some theologians today to make sure that no, faith is not a gift. You create your own faith. You have to decide whether you have faith or not. But everything that comes to you after that is a gift. And so they say, well, faith can't be the gift. But here's the problem. Saying faith is not the gift doesn't answer the question. We still need to know what is the gift. And every single commentator that I could find who understood the Greek said that the whole following phrase with all of its elements included is grammatically what the gift is. So what we're saying is, no, faith is not the gift. But we're also saying grace is not the gift. The whole thing is the gift. The grace, the salvation, and the faith, the whole thing, that's the gift. What is not of your own doing? What is a gift of God? The saving grace which has come to you through your faith, that whole thing, that's the gift of God. And so the argument is, sure, maybe God, the text isn't saying specifically God gives you faith. But he gives you a gift and you open the package and faith is one of the things you pull out. It's part of the gift that comes to you. Grace, salvation, and faith are all the gift of God. So in a roundabout sense, the ancient church, I think, got it right. Your faith is a gift. You didn't self-create it. God gave it to you. And that's just one more reason why we think Paul can see this as not being a work. It's not something even you technically did. God did it in you. So how do we know that we are saved not of works? Because salvation, the gracious salvation, God's gracious salvation comes to us through faith. It comes to us through faith. And also, this is consistent with other passages in Scripture. For example, I have uh, for you 2 Timothy 2.25, which teaches that uh, for any pastor or any theologian, any Christian who uh, corrects their opponents with gentleness, that they do so so that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. The, uh, uh, Luke tells us something similar when he wrote the book of Acts, quoting this from the book of Acts. When they heard these things, they fell silent and glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. You see how even in these other verses, repentance, faith, this is something God grants to us. This is something God gives us. Your faith is not a work. It is a gift. Your faith is not a work. It is a passive reception of God's grace. 
And to move on now, that faith and salvation are together the gift of God brings us to our next reason why we should deny a gospel of works. The first reason is that God's gracious salvation comes through faith. The second reason is that God's gracious salvation is a gift. Salvation is a gift. Verse 8, the second half, if you will. And this, being saved by grace, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. The word gift is much like what we talked about last week with the words grace and mercy, in that by definition, it excludes merit. By definition. A gift that was earned is a square circle. It's a contradiction of terms. If you earn something, it's not a gift. It's a reward. Or it's a debt that's being paid. But gifts are by definition unearned. And so if Paul is going to describe salvation as a gift, you by definition cannot say God gave it to me because of my works. Because that's not a gift, that's a payment. And in case you don't believe me, keep your marker here. I want us to see this. Turn to Romans chapter 4. And if I have them turned to it, Drew, then I'm not showing it. I'm sorry, I should have clarified it. But we will get to that one soon. Yeah, you can just go. Romans chapter 4. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Beginning in the beginning of the chapter, beginning in verse 1. Paul is going to explain to us how Abraham was saved. Notice what he says in verses 1 through 5. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Do you see how explicitly Paul is teaching us that gifts are unmerited? If you earned it, it's not a gift. It's a due. It's a payment. It's a reward. It's a merit. It's a wage. And so because salvation is a gift, it is therefore not of works. But there's something in Romans 4 that brings us to our next point. Do you notice how before he talks about salvation being a gift and gifts are by definition unearned, he asks us rhetorically, if Abraham did achieve his salvation through the works of his flesh then he would have something to boast about. But not before God, right? That's what he says in verse 3. Or forgive me, in verse 2. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. And this leads us to our third point, which is found, again, in our text. If you'll turn back to Ephesians chapter 2. The third reason we know that we are saved not by works is because God's gracious salvation must exclude boasting. God's gracious salvation must exclude boasting. Look at verse 9 with me. Being saved by grace through faith is not a result of works, verse 9, so that no one may boast. You see, Paul is telling us, why did God want to save us through a gracious way? If God wanted to, he could have maybe tried to figure out a system where we're saved by works. But why did God not want that? What's the point of being saved by grace? What's in it for God? 
And Paul says, because God does not want us to get to heaven and start bragging about it. He does not want us getting to heaven and boasting about it. He does not want to share his saving glory with you. God is not interested in a salvation where he did 50% and then he left it up to you to do the other 50%. And some people do and some people don't. So when you get to heaven, you can high five God and say, yay, we did this together, you and me. Those other schmucks, they couldn't do it. They, they just didn't have the, the works. You tried to save them, but they couldn't do the works that I could do. They couldn't live the amazing godly life that I could live. So thanks both to you and to me, where's my reward? May it never be. God devised a plan of salvation that brings us to the throne room of grace and says, I am here because of nothing in me. Because of nothing that I've done. I am here by the grace of God alone. I have nothing to brag about. Am I better than my unbelieving neighbor? Of course not. Am I smarter? Of course not. I have nothing to brag about. You do not get to brag about being a Christian. God's gracious salvation excludes boasting. So if you think about it the other way around... If you believe in a gospel that gives you some room to brag on Judgment Day, throw that gospel away. Whatever the true gospel is, it needs to be one that brings you to the throne room of grace and you have nothing to boast about. That's what it means to be saved by grace. That's what it means to be saved not by works. We have nothing to boast about. This too is a huge theme in Paul. I want you just to read, and we have it on the screen, Romans 3, 27 through 30. Just a couple slides over. Read with me these words. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of a law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. This is amazing. Essentially what Paul is saying here is, of course, God's holy law and following it is not what gets into heaven. If that were the case, the Gentiles would be in big trouble. Now, they had a portion of God's law written on their heart, but the Gentiles didn't have the whole law of God. So if salvation comes by perfect obedience to the law of God, then it would be impossible for anyone who wasn't a Jew to be saved because they would only have a partial law. So is God just a God of the Jews? No, he's a God of everybody. So how does the God of everybody save even those who don't know the law? How does God save people who don't have the law, who don't know the law? Because salvation is not by the law. It's by faith. But more importantly to our point, he begins by again comparing works to faith. They're not the same thing. There's a law of works and there's a law of faith. And the law of faith saves. And why does that one save? Because that's the one that excludes our boasting. If you're saved in any part by your works, you've got some room to boast. And God doesn't want any room for you to boast. Salvation cannot be of works because then we would have room to boast. And God's gracious salvation excludes our boasting. Let's move to our last point then. Read with me Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. We've seen that salvation is not of works because it is through faith. Salvation is not of works 
because it excludes boasting. Salvation is not of works because it is a gift. The last way we, Paul really drives this home is we know that God's gracious salvation is not of works because salvation produces the works. God's gracious salvation produces good works. Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul told us in verse 9 that salvation is not a result of works. And here he's telling us that the contrary then is true. Rather than thinking salvation, or forgive me, rather than thinking I will work and then that will produce salvation for me, you need to flip it around. God will graciously save me and that salvation will produce my works. That is the logic of this verse. We see that in more than one way. We see that in, in the language that we are his workmanship. God is working on us. All the good that is in us comes to us because God is working on us. We are his workmanship. In the same way that a block of wood doesn't turn itself into a chair, you do not turn yourself into a saved person. You do not just muster good works in and of yourself. God is the one who has to work these things. We're his workmanship. He's creating us. God is the carpenter. We are the wood. Or to use a biblical analogy, God is the potter. We are the clay. He is fashioning us, shaping us, creating us into holy people. This is why Paul also uses the word create. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Again, our good works spring forth from our new nature, from our salvation. And so let me ask you this. If good works come from salvation, how could they ever be a ground for salvation? How could your good works produce your salvation if you need your salvation to produce good works? Do you see the logical impossibility that Paul has presented us with here? Your works can't get you saved because unless you're saved, you can't work. We are being recreated in Christ Jesus for good works. That means that our union with Christ Jesus must come first. Good works come later. And that is why you cannot be saved by your works. Because salvation must precede works. And once God begins to work in you, once he changes you, once the grace of God comes to you, then good works will start to follow. Then you will walk in good works. As he says, they were prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And remember, this is not the first time Paul's used walking as a metaphor for lifestyle. We'll go back up to verse 2 with me briefly. He says in Ephesians 2, 2, in which, or let's begin in verse 1, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Do you see what Paul is doing in his presentation of the gospel of grace here? He is showing us how God, through Christ, is completely reversing everything that was broken. You once were dead, Ephesians 2, 1, but now you're alive, Ephesians 2, 4. You once walked according to sinfulness, to the ways of the world, Ephesians 2.2. 2. But God now is creating you into a holy vessel to walk in good works, Ephesians 2.10. You once were dead, now you're alive. You once walked in sin, now you walk in good works. Do you see the way Paul's trying to get us to see how God completely restores and reverses everything that sin broke? 
He is restoring us into good works, which again is why our good works cannot earn us our salvation. So those are our four reasons outside of the explicit testimony that we are saved not by good works, but by faith, or forgive me, by grace, through faith, and through faith alone. But with our last little bit of remaining of time, I really want to focus some applications on verse 10. Verse 10 is crucially important to Paul's argument. And oftentimes you will see Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 quoted without verse 10. And I always think that's really sad. Verse 10 is so important because verse 10 is where Paul, he does bring good works in. But he shows us how good works relate to justification. So Paul doesn't exclude good works from the Christian life altogether. Good works are hugely important to the Christian life, but he just wants us to have them in its right place. And when we leave off verse 10, it leaves us open to a charge that Paul received all the time, and it's the charge of antinomianism. People who deny that we're saved through faith alone accuse us and accuse Paul of teaching antinomianism. What does that word mean? In the Greek, it just means anti, against, nomos, law, against the law. And you see this accusation almost every time Paul, in one of his epistles, writes about being saved by grace through faith apart from works. He is then immediately accused of, oh, so you're saying that Christians can just live in sin. Right? We're not saved by works. You could technically sin as much as you want, and if you believe in Jesus, then you'll still be saved. So Paul's against the law. Paul's saying just throw the law out the window, throw God's law out the window, and just live in sin for the rest of your life. Live it up. You're saved by faith. Ephesians 2.10 is how Paul is implicitly refuting that charge. Number one, he he really does this in two ways with Ephesians 2.10. The first way is sort of an application. We're saved by grace through faith. Well, what does that mean? It means that salvation is not of works, but it does not mean that we do not do good works. Simple enough, right? Your salvation is not of works, but it does not follow from that that works are unnecessary. Good works are a mandatory aspect of the Christian life. And being saved by faith does not mean that we just throw God's law out the window. As a matter of fact, after this great explanation of being saved by grace apart from works in Romans chapter 2 and 3, Paul has to tell us then in Romans chapter 3 verse 1, or forgive me, 3 verse 21 in our next slide. He says this, Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means, on the contrary, we uphold the law. This is very similar to Ephesians 2.10. He's saying once you're saved by grace apart from the law, once you're saved through faith apart from works, that very faith that saves you is now the strength you have to uphold the law. So hear me out. Good works are mandatory for the Christian. You are not allowed to throw God's law out of your life. You are not allowed to live in sin. Good works are mandatory, but the good works that you do and that you must do are not why God loves you. That's the distinction that Paul is trying to make. I really want us to see this because it's so important. Turn, if you will, to Romans chapter 6. Sorry, Drew, this one's not on here. I'm having him turn to it. Romans chapter 6. Beginning in verse 15. And we'll read a long portion, but it'll be fairly self-explanatory. 
Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 15. Paul's going to answer this objection. If we're saved apart from works through faith, then can we just not follow the law? Verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are the slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. How would I summarize this? Why should we not continue in sin now that we've been saved by grace apart from works? Paul's point is because you can't. If you're truly saved, you can't. Paul presents a dichotomy in this text, which means there's only two options. There's not three or four. You are going to be one of two people. You're going to be a slave. Everyone in this room is a slave. That's not an option for you. To not be a slave is not an option. You're going to be a slave. And you will either have a heart that's enslaved to sin, or you will have a heart that's enslaved to righteousness. Paul, that's the comparison he makes. You once were like this. You were once slave to this. But because of the work of God, you're now enslaved to righteousness, to his love. So in the same way that unbelievers sin, because that's their nature, that's what they do, we now do righteous works because that's just what we do. We're new creatures. We're born again. Or as Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, God, we are his workmanship and he is creating in us to walk in the good works that he predestined us to walk in. To say that, well, I believe in Jesus, but I'm just going to live the rest of my life in sin, is to say that God is ultimately not working in me. I'm not his workmanship and he hasn't predestined good works for me. And if he hasn't predestined good works for you, then you're not part of the Ephesians 2 people who have been saved by grace. So what does that mean? If you don't do good works, you're not those who are saved. You're not saved. Not saying that the good works earn you your salvation, but good works are the mandatory, inevitable fruit of salvation. So if someone doesn't have good works, what can we draw from that? They're not God's workmanship. They're not in Christ. So I really want us to see that, yes, you are saved by grace through faith apart from works. But that same gracious salvation which worked faith and salvation and resurrection in your soul is still at work in you to make you into a holy person walking in sanctification. So I'm still calling you to obey God from the heart, to follow his law, but to do so remembering that you are not saved by your works, but rather you work because you've been saved. Let's conclude with Titus chapter 3. Let's read from Titus chapter 3 and then we will sing. I think, I think this really sums it up well. Titus chapter 3 verses 4 through 8.
But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that, being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works.